Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen, and I'm excited that you guys are joining in with us and listening to today's podcast. I'm really, really excited about today's show and some of the resources that we get to share. Phil, why don't you tell us what's going on today on the show? Yeah, so today, you know, we have another really, really good interview with Sharon Ford. I'm excited for you all to learn from her, to learn um, from her experience and just the work that she's doing with Focus on the Family, on the initiatives they're doing with adoption and foster care and all related things in orphan care. Um, We also have some (laughs) thoughts from the field from Brazil with Rodrigo Pereira. Um, He and his wife, Sarah, are doing some awesome stuff down there. So I'm excited for you to learn from him. Also have some recommendations as always. And, um, you know, the next thing we have, if you were here with us last week and and listened to last week's episode, you'll know that we have introduced the Ask Dr. Karen uh, segment. And it's something that I'm I'm so excited to learn from. And I learned a lot last week. Um, I'm have no doubt that I'm going to learn this week as well. And I hope that you are as well. And, and as I said last week, you know, definitely send us some questions, send us, you know, any terms, any concepts that you're confused with, um, that you'd, you'd want to ask Karen and, you know, I'll, I'll pitch in here and there where I have some, some knowledge and expertise as well. Um, but today, uh, today's term that we're going to be talking about is definitely something that Karen deals a lot with. And I'm excited. As she told me, she goes, I could talk for hours and hours on this, but so how long do we have? So we're going we're gonna to try to keep these to about five minutes or so for you out there. Um, but today we're going to talk about trauma informed care and what, what really this term that is so loaded. You hear so many times um, if you're doing this work at all. Um, but sometimes we don't really know what people are talking about when they're talking about it. So Karen, what, what, what is trauma informed care? And, um, how can you help us understand it better? I love this question. It's such an important question. It's such an important concept. It's so, so incredibly important with the work that we're doing uh, for those of us that uh, work in the field with children and adolescents and families. It's just so wildly important. So let's get started. Um, Even before we jump into trauma-informed care, it's important that you guys have a basic understanding of the word trauma. If you look at at research and literature, if you listen to podcasts, if you you read any books or literature related to um, mental health field or even uh, working with families overseas or here domestically, you're going to hear the word trauma. And there are literally hundreds of existing definitions and formulations. So when you hear the word trauma, I just want you to understand in your mind that essentially it's an experience that an individual has. So it's an event or a series of events that someone experiences. And in that experience, that person feels scared or emotionally harmed or physically threatened or even emotionally or psychologically threatened. And so this experience, this trauma then impacts that person and has lasting effects. And so when we hear the word trauma, I just want you to understand that it's an event that happens that causes someone to feel emotionally or physically scared. And then that emotional or physical feeling of being scared then has a lasting impact on that person. And so when we jump into the idea of a trauma-informed approach to care or trauma-informed care, it's essentially this overarching, wildly important understanding that trauma is real and that trauma impacts the body and it impacts the brain and it impacts children and teenagers and families and young adults and older adults. And so it's an approach to providing care or resources or education that understands that trauma is real. To have a trauma-informed approach, essentially it's starting with that foundation that trauma is real and it's developing a program, developing services that are going to be geared under the understanding that trauma is real. And so it's a program, it's an approach that's incredibly sensitive to an individual's experience and the understanding if I experience an event and that scares me and that's frightening and it has a lasting impact, then my experience may be totally different from your experience or Phil's experience. And so it's understanding that that experience is real and it's validating that an individual experience is real. And so we look at when we look at a trauma-informed approach or trauma-informed care, we wanna realize the widespread impact of trauma. Again, you heard me say it impacts the body and it impacts the brain. 
We have to recognize the signs and symptoms of trauma. And so a trauma-informed approach to caring for children or adolescents or adults, again, you're gonna hear me say it over and over again. It's gonna sound redundant and repetitive, but you have to understand that trauma is real and you have to know at least some basic signs and symptoms of trauma. And then we have to respond to that trauma in an integrated way that ultimately is seeking not to re-traumatize that person. And so what that looks like on a practical level is that our programs or the people that are interacting with children or teenagers, that they're going to be safe, that they're going to be trustworthy people, that ultimately it's going to be a collaborative and peer-supported approach, that there's going to be a lot of um, listening to the children or the adolescents or the families that we're working with. And in that listening, we want to provide kids and teenagers and adults with choice and voice. And when we empower children and teenagers and young adults to have that choice and voice, Voice, it helps them to ultimately feel safe. And then one of the more important parts, all of these aspects are important, but with trauma-informed care and approach to providing care that is trauma-informed, it's absolutely crucial and important that we're aware of cultural differences, that we're aware of historical and gender differences. These aspects have to be involved in a, in a trauma-informed approach and in trauma-informed care, because without it, what we're doing is simply placing whatever my values are, whatever my my historical context is, whatever my gender, whatever my race is, and placing that on top mm. of another culture or another gender or another historical context. And that does not work. Right. Yeah. No, and there's, as you said, I mean, to me or before we started talking about this today, there's so much to this. And, and when we talk later on with the recommendations, I definitely know there's, there's some resources we can talk about there, but we'll also put resources on the, on the show notes for people out there who want to dig, dig deeper into these issues. Um, we'll make sure you got some of those, I assume, Karen, right? You got some of those? Yeah. Got it. All got right. It well, with uh, without getting more into that, because we could talk on and on about the, those those issues, and in each of those, we could tease out so many different things. As as I know, all you out there um, who are listening, so many of you understand these issues firsthand. Um, but right now, we're going to get into this interview I was able to do with Dr. Sharon Ford. Many of you out there know her. Some of you have never heard of her, but she has a lot of wisdom for us um, from many, many years of experience working in government, as well as with Focus on the Family. So here it goes. Well, Dr. Ford, it is so great to have you here with us today. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you as well, Phil. It's, so, Dr. Ford, I know that, uh, you know, so, some of the people listening in today um, have have not only heard of you, but have heard you speak and just love the work that you're doing. Uh, but I know that there's also a lot of people out there who, who haven't heard of you and don't know your story. So I was just hoping you could share with us today your, your, your story and really how you got to be where you are today with Focus on the Family. You know, Phil, this has been a journey. And I must say it's um, a story that continues to be unfolding. You know, um, many moons ago, um, I worked for state government. And I say many moons ago because when you invest 30 years of your life working with um, a group of people um, because you care about something, it just seems like you don't stop. Mm. And so, you know, my career at state government and in the state of Colorado um, really was a journey. I started off working in the child protection area of the division. And as I wound through that in my career, I did audits. I, I worked in the finance piece about making sure that children who were coming into care were eligible for federal funds so that the state would be able to maximize the work that they would be able to do on behalf of those kids and then as I moved past that, I was really um, ingrained in, okay, the kids who are being placed in foster care and the outcomes for those kids, and were we get doing what we needed to do on behalf of the families that had um, come to the government's attention because the kids weren't safe in their homes. And um, I can tell you that honestly, that there were more families who came to government's attention because of neglect than due to actual abuse. So being over, being the uh, manager for permanency services at the state office, I had responsibility of working with our foster care program, our adoption program, um, kids who were crossing state lines through the interstate compact on the placement of children. 
um, the interstate compact on the adoption medical assistance so that when kids were being adopted and they, their family either lived in another state or um, their family moved to another state, we wanted to make sure that their medical assistance was in place for them when they crossed state lines. You know, my state career had lots of involvement in working on policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, talking at the legislature. Mm. You know, as a government employee, you are never able to lobby uh, the legislature, but you are able to educate and inform. So I went from being the manager for permanency services, overseeing foster care and adoption for the state of Colorado, you know, a small fish in a, in a big, you know, small pond, so to speak, state mm. government, to now being the director for adoption and orphan care with focus on the family and having the reach um, across the United States to into churches, still working alongside um, state government. State government, how can focus on the family use our voice um, and our dollars um, to help support you, serve you, to find families for the waiting kids in your jurisdiction? And I can tell you that we've been in 32, we've had 32 different Wait No More events in 20 different states. And um, in fact, we have a Wait No More event coming up in Chattanooga, Tennessee on April the 29th and at Brainerd Baptist Church at their BX. And I, I am so excited to come into this work in the state of Tennessee and to come alongside and serve the state workers, the local regional workers in the Tennessee Valley um, to find families for the 358 kids who today in that state are waiting for a, a mom and waiting for a dad. Yeah, Sharon, you, you talked about in that answer the Wait No More conferences that uh, Focus on the Family is able to do around the country. Um, can you share a little bit more with the audience just what the Wait No More conferences are, just briefly share about that and how people can get more information if they're interested in attending one or maybe even bringing one to their hometown. Sure. So a Wait No More conference is a one-day event. Actually, it's from 10 to 2. We always start with praise and worship and um, have an opportunity for prayer. And then we have a host of speakers that we um, have shared their story. And so we have the voice of an adoptive mom, the voice of an adoptive dad, the voice of a young woman who aged out of the foster care system, but God had placed her in a foster home. Her last foster home was a Christian foster home and how they were able to love on her and help her heal. And um, that young woman today is married to a worship pastor and they have two beautiful children. We also have the voice of a young woman who was told at the age of nine that she was unadoptable. And so that her two younger siblings who were also in foster care would be adopted, but not her. But God sent a family, um, a Christian family that would adopt them, all three of them. And she tells her about her journey in foster care and how God has blessed her and loved on her. And today she's about to be a mom, um, any moment now. Mm. Um, we also share the voice of children who have welcomed siblings through adoption. So these are birth children, and they talk about how when their parents were fostering and then adopted, how that impacted their lives. And so that's a really important story because people always ask that question, how is it gonna impact my birth kids? And so we share um, the voices of many um, young people that way. And then we talk about the real process you know, what does it take to be involved with government, getting, you know, the home study and fingerprints and why all that's important. We also talk about who the children are who are waiting. So like in Chattanooga, Tennessee right now, there's um, actually in Tennessee, there's 358 kids who are waiting. And so we talk about who those kids are and how they probably entered the foster care system, but that all of them desire to not age out and they want to have a forever family. And so that's from 10 to 12. At 12 o'clock, we then feed everybody on our dime. And um, and then from 12 to 2, we have um, vendors, um, exhibitors who are there to interact with the families, to get their questions asked and answered, because we want to make sure that as they're going through the process, um, that they know what they're getting into. And so we have the state office there or the local 
local county offices. We have licensed child placement agencies that are um, working with state government in that jurisdiction that can do the home studies, do the training, and get those families prepared and equipped to do foster care or adoption. And so um, at the end of that time period, we ask families, hey, are you moving forward? If, or if you're called to move forward, um, let us know. And so we um, collect that information and we share it with those agencies so that they can be connected um, before we ever leave um, that state. And so focus is just the conduit to make that happen on behalf of those waiting kids and families who God has called to you know, become foster or adoptive parents. Um, people can learn more about our Wait No More event by going on our website at um, I Care About Orphans, I Care About Orphans.org. And they can click on the link that says um, Wait No More, and they'll be able to see all the 20 states that we've been to and all the 32 events that we've had. Our information is there, as well as an application if they're interested in having a Wait No More event. That application is online. Great. And so we'd love to you know, to talk with people and yeah, well, answer their questions. That's fantastic. And I think that, that that's a great opportunity for people out there who are interested in foster care, adoption, um, also those who are just advocates for it, who really want to get other people involved. That's a great way to do it. Well, you know, with the Wait No More, with other things that you're doing, one of the main things that you're doing with Focus is to help families really discern and engage their respective roles in the care of orphan and, vul- orphan and vulnerable children. Um, really knowing what they're called to. You alluded to this earlier, um, just in your uh, introduction of your of your past and how you got to where you are. But what you know, what are some ways people can get involved in their communities um, to love orphan and at risk children outside of actually adopting or fostering a child? And really, why is it so critical for us to understand and emulate in our lives? Um, uh, you know, what God's purpose is for us in this area. You know, when the scripture talked in James talks about to take care of widows and orphans, the word take care of, I think, is a broad word. I mean, it can be looked at in many, many levels. And so one way is, okay, that means take care is an action word, do something. And so, as you said, everyone's not called to foster or adopt, um, but there are so many other things that you can do. One is getting involved in your local state government. you know, sitting on a committee, um, assisting at uh, a daycare that has children who are, you know, all, all kinds of organizations have ways that they use volunteers. If you called your local county government and said, hey, I'd like to volunteer in child welfare, how can I serve? Uh, you know, what can that look like? Oh, okay, you need CASA volunteers? Um, court-appointed special advocates. Not every state has that program, but many do. And so it's being the eyes and the ears of the court on a particular case, one case that's assigned to uh, an individual and they're writing reports um, on their based on their interactions with a child so that that judge gets an objective opinion about what's going on in that child's child welfare case um, and how that, that the case is impacting that that kiddo. Um, volunteering, um, you know, at a daycare, being the extra hands at a daycare, um, volunteering at at your kid's school or or if if you have no children, at an elementary school or middle school or high school, just being present so that kids know that you care about them. Being a mentor, being a coach. When I think of the children who are about to age out of foster care, having mentors in their life, there's so many opportunities to seed and feed into that child's life, to answer their questions, to spend time with them, just doing normal kid, parent, you know, stuff. Yeah. Um, because that, that caseworker has so many cases, that they're not able to do that with that kid. And so being a mentor is such a positive way to speak into a young person's life. Mm. Yeah, and you also have talked to me about wraparound care for foster and adoptive families and birth mothers and kinship care providers. And, you know, and really when you start talking about the birth mothers and wraparound care, and that's really preventing orphans from happening. Um, and uh, what happens when that wraparound care, well, first of all, what is wraparound care, you know, for those of the, out there that don't? And then what happens when it's not there? I am so glad you asked about wraparound care because that's the other thing that focused really um, is passionate about that that's one of our main 
areas is post, um, lots of people call it post-adoption support. I call it post-placement support because whether you are a foster parent or an adoptive parent, you need someone who's supporting you. If once that child comes into your home, where's that post-placement support that helps with um, you keeping being sane? Um, can you cook? Can you clean? Can you drive a car? Can you um, rake a lawn? Can you mow a lawn? Can you fold clothes? Can you bring an extra meal? Can you just um, play with my kid, you know, the kids, so that I can maybe spend take another child to therapy or or, or have date night with my husband or date night with one of my kids. When you're a foster parent and you have, you know, one, two, or even three or four um, kids in your foster kids in your home, how do you spend individual time with each of the children? Um, and then spend time, you know, just as, as a group, as a family, having someone else help you um, do that so that you do it well um, really makes a, a difference. It, it makes the workload less when I think about foster parents having that extra support, um, adoptive family, families needing that extra support, it's the difference between being keep going and being sane and and having having extra time to pray, having extra time just to, just for you. You know, sometimes people get lost in the kids stuff that you get lost. And so that's that's not what families have come into foster care for. That's not what families have come into adoptive care for. Um, but then I think of also kinship families, the grandmas and the aunts that have t- um, who have taken on um, caring for kids because they're, um, they would have otherwise entered the child welfare system or they did enter. And so child welfare said, hey, grandma, will you take this sibling group of five? Grandma was thinking was about to retire, but now she's parenting five children. She needs help. Foster parents need help. Adoptive parents need help. And so when we think about that, your focus is saying, come let, wrap your love, wrap your arms around um, a family. A youth group can do that. This, the women's group can do that. A men's group. Uh, every arm of the church can be there and be that loving, supportive extra eyes, extra arms, extra hands, extra feet to, to speak into, to care for, to help navigate and support moms and dads who are fostering, providing kinship care, adopting, you know, that, that because they're involved in the system. And when I think about birth parents, gosh, if a birth mother had that extra help, that the church, when they see a mom struggling, oh my God, to love, not to judge, and that's one of the things that we really want to remind people. It, there's no perfect parent. Mm. All of us are one accident, one bad decision away from make from our kids entering child welfare. But having people love on you without judgment and provide a helping hand, not with a critical voice or a critical eye. God talks about love your neighbor as yourself. If you were a struggling mom, what kind of help would you want? And sometimes it's hard to ask. Sometimes our foster parents, they'll go, oh, no, I'm fine. Our adoptive parents, I've heard them say, oh, no, I'm okay. It's, it'll be okay. No, no, it's not okay. They're drowning. Mm. It's hard to ask sometimes for help because you don't know how people are going to respond. Yeah. You know? And yeah, so yeah. rejection is hard. When you ask for help and then help doesn't come, it's like, oh, my God, I am in this by myself. But God says, I will never leave you alone. And he means that my people are there to help you. I'll never leave you alone. I'll never forsake you. There is that extra hand. There is that extra voice. Yeah. No, and that's great stuff. And I know that, you know, my wife's one of those. And, you know, it's, we have all biological children. But, you know, when, when I go on a trip, when I'm out and she needs help, she does have a hard time asking. And a lot of people do have a hard time asking, like you said. But if someone shows up at the door and says, hey, I'm here to help. She'll have about 50 things for them that they can help with. And I know that that is, you know, probably the same thing for so many people. And so I just, you know, like you, encourage everyone out there to, as you told me, you know, there's room at the table for everyone to play an important part of orphan care and helping others. They just, let's just help others to find their role and let's all be creative 
in figuring out what that looks like because, you know, otherwise we're just going to have people, like you said, burning out and, and really just not able to go through with what they really want to go through because they just don't have enough hands and, and feet in their, in their lives. So I uh, definitely love what you just said, and I encourage everyone out there to, to really think deep and deep hard of how they can get involved. You know, Phil, when you, when you said that there's room at the table, there is. You know, when people come to, to the Lord, they don't always know what their purpose is. And so what does the average pastor say? Just come on in, be, take a, you know, try this, try that, try that until you find your niche. Mm. Everybody has purpose. Yep. So even though you might say, oh, I, I'm not the best cook. Oh, but can you make macaroni and cheese? <laughs> and you, can you make a hamburger? Everybody can do something. Oh, you tuna fish is your thing. You really make a good tuna. Okay, great. Our kids don't eat tuna, but they do eat chicken salad. You can just, you know, so you just come in willing to serve and to give, but not with, without the criticism. Yep. Absolutely. Without the judgment. Absolutely. Well, you know, you're, you're working with focus on the family now, and there's a lot of talk in our, in our culture today on, you know, family, family family-based care and, and it really kind of begs the question of how we define family. And, and you know, how is, you know, what, what is your take on that with, you know, working with folks on the family? How do we define family? And why does it matter when we are caring for orphan and vulnerable children, how we define family? You know, um, l- let me step back for a second and just say every child deserves a loving family, a mom and a dad. When we look at the Bible, God brought Adam and Eve, and then he brought them children. And so um, God defines, um, you know, two parents, you know, and and children as family. And so I'd love to see all of our children in a two-parent household, um, because when you need support, when you can turn to your husband, you can turn to your wife. That's your first, you know, you, that's the first line of defense as they come together and, and, and seek God and, you know, and, and God gives them a plan. And so that's family-based care for kids. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your grandparent, you've got your, 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 your paternal and maternal sides of the family. That's that next line of defense. And so God has set up those, that, that, that way, that downline for kids to be a part of. They're, they're coming into community in your family, mom and dad, grandparents, aunts and uncles, that, that's community. And, and so I define family as those people who love you, care for you, support you, and they don't have to be the same skin color as you, the same ethnic color, uh, ethnicity. Um, families built in all kinds of ways. Um, and, but then so that when I think of all the children who are waiting and across the United States, there's kids, uh, lots of male, African-American male children waiting, lots, lots of large sibling groups. Um, but they're, if mom and dad come together and God speaks to their heart to welcome kids, that that's where they belong. They don't belong in group homes or residential facilities. Um, your home, your home is where they belong. Right. And you talked there about, you know, really the importance of mother and father. You know, in, in, our, in our culture today, too often people are, are quick to, to discount the importance of a father in a child's life. Um, can you just speak to that and, the, and really the different roles from mother and father and, and how, you know, we can figure out ways to fill a father role if, if, it's, a, you know, if it's a fatherless situation? You know, I was... Um texting with a friend of mine and he's an adoptive dad and he had went to his his the his two children's um youngest children school had a father-daughter dance and these girls were just giggling just just overdone overjoyed about that they were going to get dressed up and that dad was going to dance with them Mm. and i was like Oh, God, that dads are so critical that we see as, as young women, as young girls, we see ourselves through our daddy's eyes. We see the hope for our future. We look, we think about the man we're going to marry, the boys we might date and what dad will say. You, you know, it helps. Um, there's a, has a protection there when we think of our dads. There's strength when we think of our dads. There's guidance. There's um, hope 
we look at how dad looks at mom and, and, and even when he holds her, oh, oh we, we laugh and giggle about, oh, daddy kissed mom. But that's showing appropriate affection at appropriate time in life. There's so many teaching opportunities as young girls see their dads. And gosh, when I think about boys, that men know men make men. Hmm. Boys become men, but they see manhood through the eyes of their dad. And so they watch. Our kids are watching us all the time. And they're listening, even when we think they're not when they're rolling their eyes, when they're smacking their lips, when they're yelling or screaming, when they turn their, they've got their music on, they're still watching mom, they're still watching dad. And so they, parents are the image of who kids hope to some, sometimes be. I remember saying, oh, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. When my parents were raising me, I'll, oh, I'll never say that to my kid. I, I can't tell you how many times I've caught myself going, Oh my God, I thought I said I'd never say that. I'd never do that. But I did because I was parented, you know, by my mom and my dad. And and that's what kids need. They need a safe place to make mistakes and to be um, disciplined and provided guidance. And that's what family does for you. That's what mom does. That's what dad does. But dads show girls how to be young women and what to expect out of a man. And dad showed our young men how to be a man, how to be the protector, how to be um, the breadwinner, how to um, appropriately um, use God's wisdom about discipline. Um, And discipline doesn't mean harm. Discipline is about guidance and boundaries and structure. Um, And what better place to learn that than in the in, with a mom and a dad in your home, in the home. Absolutely. And you also talked to me about a child's circle of balance. What is that to you and, and why is it important for us to understand it? You know, that circle of balance is, <laughs> is that safety net that every kid needs to have. You, 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 the formation of your identity, of who you are, Um, And having a a young girl seeing mom, seeing dad, um, seeing the the friends that the family has, that's the balance. That's part of that balance structure of of knowing um, do's and don'ts, even for a young man. Seeing your dad interact with his guy friends and, and how dad interacts with the guy friend's moms you know, their wives, that circle of balance helps to create your, your future about, you know, things that I should do and should, things I shouldn't do. Um, it, it, ha- having extra people. I remember for my own daughter, when she and I struggled the, uh, the most, when she was like 12 and 13, I thought, you know, oh my God. But there were other adults in my life that were in my circle of influence that I knew were safe people for her to go and talk to, that they wouldn't harm my daughter, they would give her good guidance, that a, that circle of balance is that for your kid. So who you have as, as, an adult, as adults, who your friends are, who are those other influencers in your life, are also influencers in your child's life. You know, where you go to church, do you go to church? You know, people, some say, oh, I, I do church on TV. I'm a Christian, but I do church on TV. But, you know, so how, who are those influencers for your kids make all the difference? The youth pastor, the children's pastor, um, you know, Boy Scouts, Kiwanis, Girl Scouts, wh- whoever that is, even where your kids go to school, being selective about all those kinds of things are the ba- is that circle of balance that warms and nurtures and guides and and also becomes that hedge of protection um, is that strength um, for our kids and all our kids need that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we're coming, uh, coming to the closing part of the, uh, of this conversation. I, you know, we could talk for so long about so many other things, but uh, we're limited uh, to just this amount of time. So um, we have a couple more questions that we do ask all of our, all of our guests. And I, I'm excited to hear how you're going to answer them. But uh the first is, what have you read, watched, or listened to uh, that has most impacted your thinking, really, on how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence? 
Mm. Well, um, I have recently um, thumbed through, because I've read it before, um, Karen Purvis's book on um, The Connected Child. Mm. And I think about our children and how, whether they're our birth children or our children through foster care or through adoption, that every child needs connection and how we t- use our voice and how we use our body language sends a message. My, uh, There's a young person in my life and they say, oh, there's that look, there's, there's that look. That we all have that look and kids, kids are, remember I said kids are always watching us. And so reading books that help us remind, remember that there's a connection. Are we leading kids to have positive connections or negative connections? Are we, are we welcoming in our tones and our, in our, the messages that we're giving or are we pushing kids away? That um, whether you're reading a book by Dr. Purvis or just reading a book of poetry or reading the Bible, God is, he, he, the, the, the scriptures welcome us and provide frameworks for us. And so as I daily listen to the word, I, I always hear the Father speaking to me that I have a place of belonging. Mm. And so um, th- that's real important. I was looking at one of our club um, house uh, magazines, which is for, that Focus produces for kids. Um, and and some of the games that are in there, and it talks about how to be a good friend, and that teaching kids about morals and values, and in ways that are are learning, um, you know, by doing a coloring book or um, or playing hopscotch, um, that those are things that, you know, warm our hearts. I just think that fam- you know, families who have opportunities to read books with their kids play games with their kids, laugh with their kids, uh, even watching something on TV and helping them pick out the teachable, use that as teachable moments. Right. This is one of my big things. I'm big on ear hustle. <laughs> Having the kids in the car, make your house the house that kids come want to come to, or you be the parent that picks the kids up. Because when you're there in the car and they're talking, and I was taking my grandson, some of his um, basketball guys to the game and listening to their conversations and then being able to have a conversation afterwards with my grandson about, hey, what does that word mean? And oh, and you know, and uh, they were um, having comments about somebody who's being inappropriate. And I was like, he is listening. That, that it, my ear hustle picks up on that they really are listening to the things we say. Yeah. They really, they're in their conversations. And so that makes all the difference in the world. And when I think about kids who are at risk, they want to know that people are listening, that they've got their ear hustle on, that they are willing to sit down and be connected with them. Um, and that they're not being rejected because they had a bump in the road in their history, that their behavior isn't, not, isn't who they are. It's a thing that's going on in their life. Um, but they need people to wrap around them to love on them and not ostracize them because their behavior um, looks different than the next kid. Right. Yeah. That, that is such a great book. Uh, Karen Purvis and the connected child. I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard it or have read it, but uh, if you haven't definitely pick it up, it's a must read for, for doing anything in this area. And really, like you said, for, for biological children as well, to connect with our children is critical. Um, Last question for you. What one person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and at-risk children with excellence? Hmm. One person? I don't have a one, one person. Um, I'm sorry. Well, it can, be a, it can be a few or a group or, you know, or you can just have one representative sample of so many people that have impacted your life. Just tell a story of why they've impacted you. Well, this person, um, <laughs> Kelly Rosati, hmm. um, I look at her as an adoptive mom. I'm sorry, gosh. And knowing that your child has mental health issues, 
and that you are their number one advocate. Mm. That whatever your kid is going through, I'm mom, I love you. Oh, you don't like me today? I love you today. I understand that you don't like me, but I still love you, I'm still mom. Oh, you're struggling in school today? I can come and be at school with you today. Oh, you're, 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 you're trashing your room today? Oh, I understand that you're in a lot of pain and, and, and that, you know, you, it's okay, it's safe for you to act out at home. And we need, what's really hurting you? What's really going on? And, and being, being there in the moment and every step of the way. And I have watched Kelly as she has journeyed with one of her kids having to be in short-term residential care um, to now seeing that daughter who wasn't in school being homeschooled, now being in school and just being vibrant. I have watched her with her one son who has severe mental health issues and his struggle and her be there and be his advocate with anyone who would listen to access the services that meet his needs. She's my, she's a champion. Mm. And yes, you know, it doesn't look pretty, but as I look at her desire to love on her kids, all four of her kids are adopted from the foster care system, that every day she is mom. Mm. Every day her kids matter. And the choices that she makes, the people she interacts with, and God, talk about an avid reader, the books that she reads, the music that she listens to, that praise is what she does. She praises God for giving her the opportunity to parent. And as she and her husband, John, love on each other and love on their kiddos, that life is hard many days, but the joy of being mom to her four kids, I think is her uh, most cherished accomplishment in life. And so she, you know, she impacts me. Yeah. You know, I used to think about the kids who were waiting, that they impacted me, that they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me to keep doing what I do. And now I look at Kelly and I think, so I have these two things, the kids who still wait, that's there for me, that, and, and watching that there are moms, there are moms out there for kids. There are dads out there for kids who want to be their advocate and that God's going to use me to help reach somebody to say, did God call you? Did he call you to be a mom and a dad to a kid who needs, who needs one, who wants one? And if he hasn't called you to be, a, to be that parent, has he called you to support the families who need support? The Kellys and Johns of the world need support to keep loving on their kids who come from hard places. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, what a great place to end. I, I thank you for sharing your wisdom, sharing your heart. Um, and just, I just pray that, uh, all the words that you spoke today will, will get out there and really be uh, chewed on and applied to the people out there. You know, everyone out there listening, there's so much from this. If you miss something, go back, listen. Um, but thank you so much, Dr. Ford. Uh, I look forward to seeing how God continues to work in and through you uh, in years to come. Phil, thank you for being a blessing and, and letting me share today. I, you know, I know that um, God has called your ministry to get the word out, you know, and, and to share. <laughs> And so I greatly appreciate you. Thank you for this. Well, thanks again, Sharon, for those uh, great words. I just, I absolutely love what she said. I'm big on ear hustle. It's just that, that uh, term just got me thinking. And I assume it did everyone else out there. So, you know, Karen, what, what really stuck out to you about my conversation with Sharon? I really liked the ear hustle comment too. That that gave me a good grin on my face. And I 
absolutely align with that. And it's one of the things that I often say to parents in every single parenting consultation that I get to do, which is multiple every day. And I just remind them that um, our kids, whether they're two or 12 or 22, that our kids know the temperature of our house. And and Sharon said that over and over again. Dr. Ford said that, um, that our kids are watching. And um, I, I loved that she emphasized the importance of um, having a strong male Christ-centered man to to watch. I think that's wildly important too. But I think that her emphasis on the fact that that kids are looking and kids are listening and they they desire to learn from adults that they can trust. And that's such a huge important concept when we're talking about kids who've been hurt, kids who've been in multiple home placements either here in America or. Um, in international settings that all kids desire and deserve safety. And so many of them haven't received that in their lives. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think she talked about so many different things in that interview, but you know, one of the things that stuck out to me and, and I know you have, you have something else you just definitely want to talk about just as far as, you know, some of the nuances of, of this, this work that we're doing. But one of the things that she said that, that I always, my ears perk up because it's such a, a, an important topic to me. It's something I've seen so much. And as a man, um, you know, she said, when I think about boys, men make men, you know, and, and that's something that it's, it's just in our society today, it's hard because there are so many, so many single moms that are doing amazing work that are really raising kids up, raising boys up and in, in to be great members of society, doing amazing things in our world. But there are certain things that a woman just can't teach a man. And so it's the importance of mentoring. It's the importance of things that come alongside these men and to not discount what women are doing what single moms are doing. Um, but what I love what Matt Chandler said in one of his sermons, he said, you know, when the ideal is lacking, grace abounds and God does amazing things in those situations, but it doesn't mean you don't try to really bring in that male influence, that male impact on that child's life. So anyway, that was something that she talked about that really struck me. But I want to just come back to you, Karen. You know, what you and I talked about before the uh, before we started recording, just about some of the nuances and something that you heard that perked your ears when uh, Sharon was talking about it. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that question too, Phil, but I really want to say, and just adding on to yours too, I think it's important um, in, in what Phil is saying about um, men teaching men and men um, raising men, that, that's so wildly important. And the part that she talked about with the wraparound services, for those of you guys that may not be familiar with exactly what that stands for in the clinical world, for me, wraparound services means like in-home services. But with focus on the family, their wraparound services actually means wrestling in prayer, providing respite care, providing acts of service and promises of God. And I love that that's essentially... Mm. Um, encouraging and and really like almost like begging for the church to be involved in, in some form or fashion for families who are providing homes for children that don't have homes. And I love this this um, this picture of people being involved in so many different ways because I can tell you from a clinical perspective that that is massively lacking when families come to see me and I ask them, what type of post-adoption services are you receiving? What type of post-adoption support are you receiving from their church? I promise you that I have not had a single patient in my office in the Louisville, Kentucky area and families come to me from Indiana and Tennessee and Ohio that said, yes, my church does this and this is what my church does. And so hearing these programs, it makes me just get really, really excited about post-adoption care. When I get to speak um, and provide trainings to families who are considering adoption. And when that gets to be in a ministry or church setting, I sometimes like throw the gauntlet down and I tell churches, please do not even talk about orphan care. Please don't even mention foster care or adoption. If you are not going to provide services, if you are not going to provide support, financial assistance, prayer before, during, but most specifically after Mm -hmm. children's, after a child or a children joins a new family. Yep, definitely. 
So I wanted to talk about that a little bit, but I also wanted to talk through um, just kind of a, a topic that she brought up at the end with one of the questions that we ask all the time on this show is like, what's the main person or who are some of the most influ influential people in your life related to orphan care? And Dr. Ford had mentioned um, Kelly Rosati, and I think that that family and that story is an incredibly inspirational story, and it's one that... Um, does bring tears of joy to our eyes and it's incredible to read about and hear about stories like that but I found my heart drifting in in another direction and I think Phil that's probably because I work with so many families who've experienced adoption and and maybe you know different ways all throughout the spectrum if we think about um, what we may even consider a successful adoption or an adoption that consists of a child that enters a family and is, is living a healthy life and having healthy relationships and healthy connections, or on the other end of the spectrum as a child that may enter a family and because of a number of different circumstances, most likely and almost always including a history of complex trauma, that child may actually not be safe in that family. And I don't mean because of trauma, abuse, or neglect that's occurring in the family, but I mean that a child may be experiencing such serious and significant effects and impact of trauma that they really can't be kept safe in an actual family in a mm -hmm. home. And so my heart was leaning towards some of the families that I have the, the privilege of sitting across from either professionally or even just close, close relationships and close friendships of mine who bring a child into their home. And for some reason or another, that child does not stay in their home. And so I wanted to just bring out um, just that, that topic. And for me to be able to say those few words as first and foremost, most a way of saying that you're not alone and that you're not the only family that has brought a child into their home and that child hasn't stayed. And just a, a way of saying that um, every every story is different. Every family is different. Every child and every adolescent, every teenager is different. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that really raises a point that I, I really talk to a lot of people about when I'm talking to them about the podcast. There are so many sides to these different issues that we're addressing and there's so many nuances, there's so many things that we really need to have everyone out there understand that we're not trying to say, this is the answer. This is the way that you have to do it. Because we have a guest on the show doesn't mean we agree with everything that they say. In fact, one of the things that I'm really trying to do in curating the, the uh, guests and the, really the information that we're sharing on the show is to get everyone out there thinking, including myself, about these issues. Challenging us to think deeper challenging us to listen to people that we may disagree with. You know, I really plan on getting people on that I absolutely disagree with on certain things. But I want to hear why they believe what they believe. I want to hear why they have, after so many years of studying these topics, come to these conclusions. Because I got to believe, I got to really believe in my heart of hearts that these people don't want to have these kids be in adverse situations. They don't want to, you know, do something to hurt a kid that they really have the same goals and the same desires that I and you listening to this show have, which is to love these kids as best as we possibly can. And that we all have to remember at the end of the day, God loves all these kids more than we ever will. And he will put knowledge into our brains, he'll put wisdom, he'll put people in our lives that we will, that cause us to think deeper, cause us to challenge us to really challenge what we believe and why we believe what we believe, and to really know that, really understand that. And so I just wanted to point that out, because I think that that, that last thing that, that Sharon was talking about, you know, I, I would have to guess that she would agree 100% with what Karen just said. And I think that most of you out there totally understand the, the nuances that we're talking about here. So, so that's just something that we, we definitely want to encourage in, on the show is to be thinking about these issues deeply and also to engage the conversation. So if there's something like that that pops in your head when you hear something, you know, send us a text or, or an email um, on uh, thinkorphan.com. Info at thinkorphan.com is our email address. You can send a comment on Facebook. You can, you can join us in any, in the converse, join the conversation on any of those mediums. And we encourage you to do that. We want you to do that. We also, while we're talking about that, definitely put a rating review on iTunes. It helps get the show out there. And share these episodes with people on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever your social media outlet is. So those are definitely something that uh, I'm encouraged that uh, Karen was able to bring that up. And I encourage you to think about those issues deeply. So with that, we're going to go into the thoughts from the field today with Rodrigo Pereira. 
Um, again, we, we talked with him about a couple different things. I was able to, to have a short conversation with him at the World Without Orphans Forum in Bogota, Colombia. And Rodrigo, again, is, is we're doing some great work in Brazil, and here's what he talked with me about. My name is Rodrigo Pereira from Brazil. We work with Breeds of Love, and we are doing a lot of pre-adoption and post-adoption training. And we help the families and the technicians to get prepared for pre-adoption and post-adoption. One of the highlights uh, of our ministry, it's been, uh, we used to have 220 kids in all in institutions care in our city. Now we have 40. So it's been a blessing to help the justice, to help the families, we are being like a platform to all the net of protection for kids. So we have more than 10 projects, 10 actions going on now. And we, we make a big gathering, a national uh, a state, a state gathering. And we, we are helping um, the net to work together. It's been very good to, to be to, to see if we work together, we can do much more. Yeah. That's great. And we're here at the World Without Orphans Forum here in Bogota, Colombia. And what, what's one of the things that has been a highlight for you over the last two days? Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, I believe when we work together, when we, we cooperate with one another, we can have more muscles to, to, to go further. So it's been a blessing to be here, to, to participate and to collaborate. One of the highlights for me is this. If you have desire, if you have vision, you have the provision. Mm. That's great. Um, and the last thing is, what's one of the biggest issues that orphan care is facing today and how can we together address it? Yeah. One of the biggest issues that I think is the lack of participation of the church. As a church, I think we are the, the ones who were adopted by God. And now we can adopt, we can bless. Because we were blessed, we were adopted. And now we can adopt, we can share what you have. And this is uh, a big thing for me because God bless us in a way that every, everybody needs to be adopted, even though the biological kids needs to be adopted. Mm. And I think with this universe of adoption, the spirit of the adoption, we can, we can receive what we, we, we can share what we receive from God. Well, thanks again, Rodrigo, for uh, the great wisdom you were able to share during the Thoughts from the Field. And if you're doing any work in Brazil, I encourage you to get to know Rodrigo and Sarah and the work they're doing down there. Um, we'll, we'll link to his website on the show notes. Right now, we're going to go right into the recommendations, the, the Karen and Phil recommends segment. And before we go to the, the meat of the recommendations, I just got to share one that is a book that a lot of you out there have read. If you haven't, I strongly encourage you to. It's, it's Lord of the Flies. I'm reading it again. My kids are both, two of my kids are reading it in school. They happen to be reading it at the same time. So I'm reading it um, alongside them. And I'm actually listening to it uh, read by the author, William Golding. And I couldn't re recommend that more. Um, it's an amazing, amazing book on human nature. Those of you who read it, you'll agree with me. If you haven't read it, um, it's a it's a tough book to read. It's a tough one because I think it really it really uh, provokes a lot of thoughts in us about our human nature. But it you will not regret reading that book to really get a glimpse into our minds and into just you know what we could be if we if we if we let it go. So Karen, what what do you got for us? All right, Phil, I've got two of my favorite books to recommend um, for people who may be just starting to wet their palate a little bit with um, understanding trauma a little bit more. So these books, bear with me, they're a little, little bit clinical, but I think they're um, not 
too clinical to where it would be boring or too laborious or too jargon filled. But I think these are going to be two really good books. And so the first one is an oldie, but a goodie. It was published in 1992. And I'm going to tell you, Phil, that I was only 10 years old when this one came out. This is Trauma and Recovery by Dr. Judith Lewis Herman. And I can't recommend this strongly enough. Her work in the early 90s was some of the most important and groundbreaking work related to trauma. And so I think if you're out there and you're thinking, wow, I want to just kind of know a little bit more about what trauma is. And more specifically with Dr. Herman's book, it's really looking at how trauma impacts larger systems. And so when we think systems related to what we're talking about with Think Orphan, we're talking families, we're talking um, orphan care communities, we're talking institutionalizations, we're talking neighborhoods, we're talking villages, communities, cities, countries. That's Mm -hmm. the type of systems that I'm referring to. And then the second recommendation is The Body Keeps Score. And this is by Dr. Bessel Vanderkoel, and I'm gonna um, kind of spell that for you. It'll be listed on the website as well. But the the last name is V A N D E R K O L K, and I can't recommend this highly enough. This is gonna really give you that understanding that trauma is stored in the body and trauma is stored in the brain. And for those of us that are working with children and adolescents and young adults who've experienced trauma, this is a wildly important topic to understand. So those are my two recommendations, Phil. Well, thanks so much. I know that every book you've ever recommended that I've read, I haven't regretted it. So I encourage you all out there to to do um, to go pick up those books and check them out, um, especially if these issues are things that you're struggling with in the work that you're doing, which I imagine many of you listening are. Well, with all that, we had a, a little bit longer show than, than usual today, but I think it was worth it. Um, and I just look forward to hearing from you about how you used what you learned today to love orphan and vulnerable children around the world with better and better excellence every day. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Think Orphan.